Hello, Kira Dyer here. Welcome to episode 13 of Loving an Addict. This podcast with my husband, Duff, is inspired by a great loss. Our daughter, Emma, who passed away from an accidental overdose. Our desire is to spread awareness, love, and hope to also help those who are striving to love the addict in their lives because we know that that person is so much more than just an addict. Today we're interviewing Cameron, a recovering addict who has quite a story. What I find interesting is these last couple episodes, we haven't sought out somebody using a higher power in their recovery, but I know that that's a really important step. For a group setting like NA or AA, that's why they have the 12 steps and not one step is more important than the other. I think a lot of times we say that having any sort of spirituality or any sort of influence from a higher power is unnecessary, but you'll see in Cameron's story, it was essential for his recovery and continues to, to be so in his story. I also love that he talks about seeking groups and individuals who he can give back to. I think that's so valuable because who knows better than someone who has been as close as they can be to in your shoes. I think there's power in healing when they're giving back and power in understanding and just having a shoulder or a listening ear that someone can say, I get it. I get it. I've been there. And this is what I did. Maybe this will help you. I think there's huge value in that. The other part that I loved was just another reminder that change is possible. You will see how far Cameron has come to eking out a high school degree to getting a master's degree, which I think is just beautiful. So we're really excited to have you hear Cameron's experience and hope that you can learn from his experiences. Hi. Oh, hey. Hey, Duff uh, Dyer. Yeah, mm-hmm. Kira. Uh, Cameron, we're the Dyers. Mm-hmm. Hi, good, Dyers. Good to have you, buddy. Duff, Kira. All right. Welcome back. Everyone, I want to so, introduce yeah. to you a, a new friend of mine. We happen to work together for a few months now. Cameron Thorne from Northern California. Chicago originally, but you know. Nor- I mean, I've been out here for oh, like 17 years, so we'll say Northern California. <laughs> Go Chicago Bulls, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We've invited uh, Cameron to join us today to share his story. And like some that we've talked to already, uh, everybody's individual journeys and stories have resonated with a number of people. So we appreciate you taking the time. Cameron, uh, the little I know about him, he's a very authentic guy, very passionate about the things that matter most. So we'll let him fill in some of the blanks and share some of the details, but what we'd love for you to do is tell us your story. Yeah, I'll start from the beginning. So I I grew up in Chicago with my mom, dad, and my twin sisters until I was 11, and um, I grew up in a really abusive home. My my dad never came back from the Vietnam War mentally, and took a lot of that pain home, and he grew up in an abusive alcoholic family himself, and so just repeated those patterns, and before I was 11, my mom and dad married and divorced one another three times. Oh my goodness. Because he would hurt us and promise he would never do it again. And so it just became this revolving cycle. I didn't know when my dad would be there the next day or not. And I remember one time I was telling you, Duff, like we moved 13 times in one year because my dad 
and couldn't keep a job, was very violent in nature. Someone would give us a place to stay on their couch and he would screw that up. And so we were constantly living out of cars and from place to place. So just a lot of dysfunction. And finally, my mom had the courage to run away for the final time when I was 11. She raised me and my sisters all alone. And my mom was going to school to become a nurse at that time to give us a better life. And um, also working two jobs. And this was in, in Chicago. And um, so she couldn't be there for us physically. And so I basically raised myself on the streets and got started getting in a lot of trouble at a really young age. And by the time I was 13, drugs and alcohol every day. And I was arrested for the first time when I was 13. Before I was 18, I was arrested 11 times. For, for things like? Alcohol, burglaries, all sorts of breaking and entering of just you know, stupid teenager stuff. Uh, I guess where I grew up, it was stupid teenager stuff we did. So a lot of burglaries, uh, underage drinking, getting caught with weed. And then when I was 17, I got sent away into my 18th birthday. And so I served about a year. And then I was released from a, a juvenile prison on my 18th birthday. And that's when my life started spiraling out of control. Oh, that's when it That's when it, that's <laughs> when it actually started going down the wrong path. And um, I was introduced to heroin. And uh, from 18 to 23 years old, I struggled with a heroin addiction. And... What what is it about the heroin that that just drew you in? So for me, I'm kind of an extremist. I, I like to... You're going hard. I'm going hard, yeah. like one way or another. And uh, so whether it was alcohol or anything, and then when you do something like heroin, they call it chasing the dragon, which is like getting back to that first experience you've had. And I think there's always wanting to... First off, being, I mean, I'm numbing would be the, the therapy term for it. Wanting to numb yourself from the pains of this world because my life seemed like there was in shambles or crap at the time and, and I really didn't know anything else. And so it, it just became, I mean, it's a very powerful, once you get introduced to it, it's really hard not to get away from it. I was thinking before I got here, I was literally naming off the number of friends that I've lost to drug addiction. Mm-hmm. And it was just countless people because where I grew up, people don't make it out of that. You knock on the devil's door long enough, uh, eventually someone answers. And so um, I was blessed how I ended up just getting away from that. When I was um, 23 years old, it was the um, the lowest point of my life. And I've been addicted to heroin for five years, basically had hurt everybody in my family, stolen and lied and did all sorts of stuff. And may, may I ask you, like, why, what about that moment? Do you describe it as the lowest point of your life? What was happening? Were you homeless? Were you? Yeah, so, well, so I was actually in jail. So I ended up burglarizing a home to get money for heroin and hadn't seen my family in a while at that time just because I was so embarrassed of my addiction. I had ostracized myself from my family and... But I burglarized a home with another gentleman who got arrested for another burglary. But uh, long story short, he told on me. I went to jail. My mom came and bonded me out of jail. And when I was in that jail cell, I remember like just saying to God, God, if you're here, I need to know. And if not, I just don't want to exist. And that's the only moment in my life I've ever considered suicide. So it was like that, that lowest moment where it's, I just knew... If I kept going the road that I was going down, like there was just, What's there the was point? no hope. Yeah, there's no hope. And like at that point, like where I was literally burglarizing homes and couldn't keep a job just to feed my addiction, mm-hmm. so yeah. to speak. 
What's tough is for, for those that have never been caught up in addictive behavior, I think it's hard for us to understand getting to like that level, right? Is there something you would like families and friends of, of those that are struggling to understand about those that get to that point? Because that's hard for most people to like identify with. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I think just as people in general, we're broken people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just have, I have a, a master's degree in leadership, and I'm a life coach as well. I have dual certifications as a life coach. And you got a little been a, cro- <laughs> uh, been a CrossFit instructor for love 11, it. 12 years. And I've spoken to a lot of people about my own past addiction. and But I've worked with a lot of people in areas like where you guys live, where it's a little more affluent. And the reality of it is like, People here are just really good at hiding brokenness. Sure. I think people everywhere are broken people. Where I grew up, it's just very easily to physically see. Mm. You can see the homelessness. Like, you can see the addiction. Like, you can see where in areas like this, like, it happens all the time. But we're almost told to be, like, hush-hush about it. And and it's hard to find healing and to find, to get past an addiction when you're living in secrecy. Yeah. Like, it's... The the shame. shame, Yeah. It's the shame and the fear of being judged and being found out and what will people think and... And so we're never able to actually be the authentic us. We're never able to really tell someone, hey, this is how I'm feeling and I really need help. Yeah. Um, it's and- like we're more than happy to be authentic when we're doing well mm-hmm. and we're not willing when we're not. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like it's easy to be authentic when things are great. Yeah. But most people aren't doing great. Yeah. Well, I think you made a good point. Every home has brokenness every home has pain and suffering it's like of some kind for sure yeah it's like how much are we willing to share and I think it feels like at least with the past generation like my parents are in their 70s I feel like that generation was taught over and over brush under the carpet don't share your garbage just you know keep it to yourself keep it in the family we'll figure it out but I think our generation is you know what we need to tell people we need Mm -hmm. to talk about what's hard otherwise how are we going to get through this? Right. Yeah, and it's very culturally speaking, too. I mean, you look at, like, Japanese cultures. Like, if a person were to do something wrong, it brings shame on the family. Right. And so, like, therefore, they won't even say things that are actually going wrong because I don't want to bring shame on my family for something right. I'm struggling with. And so we end up just living these lives of secrecy and yeah. never being the authentic us. And when you're living in shame, it's hard to reach out for help. Sure. So you're in jail and you have your come to Jesus. Come to Jesus moment. It literally was a come to Jesus moment. I didn't bring (laughs) up this point. When I was in that jail cell, before I said that, God, I need to know if you're here. And if not, I don't want to exist. There was a Bible. And I picked up the Bible. And I remember because I had spent so much time in juvenile hall, like I, I always had an inherent belief God existed. I had a really hard time believing he was good. Right. I had a really hard time believing he was a loving God. Right. Like, why would a loving God allow me? Yeah. I believe I couldn't look at the world around me and think that all this was an accident. That takes more faith than anything. Sure. But for me, like, I had a really hard time believing that God was good at all um, for the things he allowed me to experience. But after I I said that prayer and my mom came and bonded me out of jail, I was actually just didn't want to be around my family. And so I pick up a basketball and I went to find a basketball court. 
and there was a gentleman about my age. I asked him where the basketball court was, and he told me he was a traveling door-to-door salesman. Okay. He was selling magazine <laughs> subscriptions door-to-door and told me he was going from city to city, living out of hotels, and he said he was on his way to California. And I'm from Chicago, and I'm watching movies my whole life. I thought the whole state was like beaches and bikinis, <laughs> movie stars. Always sunny. Yeah, everybody's famous. Streets are clean. Yeah. Everybody's friendly. Yeah, and I was like, it sounds really cool, but I was still so addicted to heroin, I didn't put too much thought into it. Sure. Um, but he ended up like giving me his manager's phone number, and uh, I went and played basketball, and I went home and told my mom what happened. And you'd been clean how many days at that point? Uh, not at all. Like, I mean, I was, you were still just, yeah, just, out just just got out of jail. So maybe you know, eighteen hours at this point. Okay, twenty hours. So I ended up meeting his manager the next day. I left in the next two and a half years. I traveled around the country, and so people ask me, Cameron, like, how did you get away from that? I had to remove myself from where I was. Like, I think That's so many time we've heard that. Yeah, very and, common. And and it's so hard when you're walking down the same road right. all f- the triggers yeah, yeah all the triggers and it's I just spoke of that a lot yeah and and yeah. especially because even when it's awful it's comfortable yeah it's familiar it's familiar mm-hmm. and, and the people you're around yeah. right are a trigger and oftentimes you become who you hang out with it's mm-hmm. that idea of, show me your five closest friends i'll show you your future yeah and so being around the same area, around the same people, going down the same roads, it's yeah. really hard to continue. I remember I worked for Jessup University as the director there for a while, and before Gavin Newsom became governor, I sat on a board with him and other people in education about reforming education in Sacramento, and we're having a conversation about keeping people in this area, and uh, this one lady from Sacramento wanted her son to come back. I said, listen, I understand because of my past with where I grew up. Sometimes where you grow up isn't necessarily the best place for you. And as much as I want your son to be with you, but if he's creating a better future somewhere else, like... I would pray that he would stay down that road. And that's what I would want for my children. If it means them going somewhere else to find hope or healing, I need yeah. them to find that. Um, but it's just putting them in a place where they're not going down those same roads and having those triggers. Yeah. And it's such a hard thing because for me, I found a job doing traveling sales. It was a God-divine moment for me in my life. But How many so, cities did you visit in two and a half years? I mean, visited 32 states, 30, oh, 32 wow. states I had you know, stayed in over that period. And basically during the cold season, we would be in California and then take a big loop around the country. And But I ended up in Florida and New York. And yeah, so that was a good experience. I would assume there was a mentor involved in that. Otherwise, why would you do that for two and a half years with strangers? It was a bunch of runaways, a bunch of runaway addicts, really. My story isn't like this, hey, you found Jesus and all of a sudden you didn't struggle anymore. Like heavens finally opened themselves up. I think that's the biggest hocus pocus garbage mentality of faith. Some people like find Jesus and like right away, like everything changes. Sure, that's, I'll tell you what, I came in to a relationship. By the way, that was two and a half years after I took that traveling sales job. That happened. But I came in thinking he would magically just change my life. And yeah. and that's the mentality we have. Like, he's a genie in the bottle. And if I rub his lamp hard enough, like, he's just going to make my life better. No, like, I have fallen. I've gotten back up. Like, I have I've got knocked down and continue it. Like, thankfully, 
he's had faith in me when I didn't have faith in myself. And, but I've had other people alongside of me too to help me along the way. And the problem is, is especially when you're living in isolation, is be trying to do it alone. And the worst place you can be, especially when you're struggling with some type of mental issue, whether it's overcoming addiction or just believing in yourself, the worst place you can be is alone, right. you know, in between your ears, because the devil's really good at whispering lies. And the lies that we often believe are the ones that stop us from ever creating a better future that we're called to. So. Awesome. So were you able to stay clean those two and a half years? No, not at all. Was... Yeah. So during that two and a half years of traveling, I was basically going around the country with a bunch of runaways about my age. And so you guys we were, were all struggling with this. All thing. struggling, all drinking and partying. So during that experience, I ended up meeting a lady who gave me a Bible and I just started reading it every day. And I, like I said, I always believed God was good. I, I didn't know why Jesus was the only way. That definitely didn't make any sense to me. There were so many different religions, but... I just started giving him a chance and reading the Bible and feeling like I'm called to a new life, but because of the people I was with was still partying and living that lifestyle that I was trying to break free from or felt God was calling me to, I ended up leaving that after two and a half years. I just figured out I fell in love with California and I really felt like God calling me to this new life that I desperately desired. I think it's in all of us. We all want to live the ideal person that we want to be. But once again, there's so many things that stop that from ever becoming true. But for me, yeah, I ended up leaving selling magazines and uh, just trying to, to take a risk to see if I can make it in California. Was there a point in that <clears throat> two and a half year journey where you were like, okay, this has been a good learning experience, but it's time for me to move on. Why didn't you just keep doing the door-to-door sales for years and years? Yeah, it, it was because of, like, I was reading the Bible and I just felt called to a, a different life other than drinking and drugs every day. That job was an awesome experience, but like I said, the lifestyle wasn't much different than me living back home with some of my other friends where I was really trying to create a better future. I, I just got to this point where I'm just like, no, no, I feel called to something else um, and I do want to leave this past behind me and head towards something new and you're how old now 41 don't remind me <laughs> uh, yeah says the guy yeah. 10 years younger than me uh, yeah. so how long you've been clean and sober uh, from heroin 17 years wow. yeah but not from alcohol so this is where I tell people my story is different and it's crazy so okay I'm gonna be super authentic like I was one of the reasons that I struggled so much with being, a, I was a director at Jessup University and one of the reasons I had struggled there so much in a director position is because I at times found myself struggling. Mm. Meaning like I still found myself falling back into alcohol addiction at times. Because mm-hmm. it's crazy because alcohol, it's it's such a common thing, right? Like it's, it's so, it's such a commonly accepted <laughs> thing and I wasn't doing heroin or any of the other drugs in my past anymore, but alcohol at times became a crutch. And I kept doing this, you're doing really good following Jesus, and then ended up backsliding and then not following well for a while. And But just became this up and down. And But it's crazy because like when you're in that position, when you're in a position of authority, like a director position, 
who do you tell? Right. Like, who can you be authentic with? Right. And that's the problem, too, with a lot of people when it comes to positions of leadership is not being able to be authentic leaders. If someone knew what I was actually struggling with, how would I feel? And I'm so afraid. I just got to a point, too, where I want to live authentically, and I don't think I can do that here, mm. if that makes sense. Of course it does. Yeah, but it's been a... That's why I said my relationship with Christ didn't heal me, like, from me bringing in all the baggage from my past. but he, So what has that relationship done for you then? Yeah, it's given me hope in a future. Like it's given me a desire that it's not by my own works and not by my own deeds, but by God's love and His grace and nothing I can do that I'm freely accepted. There's a big difference, especially because I told you like an abusive father. There's a big difference of knowing a father that's conditional and knowing one that is unconditional. Right. Like in their way that they love you. And I think love really does have the power to break every barrier. Like when you feel like I have a two and a half year old daughter now and it's the greatest gift I've ever had. What is her name? It's Briley Rose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, She's and adorable. I, yeah, I and, and my, my wife's expecting our second. So we have our second Yay. on the way and that's that July awesome. 27th, I think. But yeah, just that ability like to love and and create opportunities for them freely and to know there's nothing that Briley can do for me to not love her. Now there's consequences to her actions. So I can't decide her future for her and just pray that I give her a good foundation. But like scripturally speaking, like there are a lot of people with really good foundations that still made really bad choices. Yeah. So it's like we, all we can do as parents is really do our best to live a, a, a good life and to model those morals and principles. But the reality of it is people make their own choices. And unfortunately, this is where it comes back to who are your closest friends because you know, those influences in your life, they're going to determine often the person you become, whether it's character, integrity, or making choices where you, know, you end up struggling often with addiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how are you finding a way to stay clean now and... Yeah, how do you stay healthy? Yeah. Right? yeah. And are there people in your life that help you stay healthy? Because you mentioned, hey, who you're with is who you become. Yeah, I've been I'm really blessed over the years with healthy relationships. I have an amazing church and obviously being a director at a Christian university for a while, just a lot of people have come alongside me over the years. I have been involved with Celebrate Recovery. I have done Alcoholics Anonymous. I've led small groups for multiple churches. Specifically, I've, I've led connections teams and how to build relationship within the church. And it's one of the problems, I think, too, with even mega churches, or it's really even just going to church in general. You can go to it and never be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a massive problem because my faith, Jesus didn't just come to die to reconcile us to God, but also to other people. Mm-hmm. And we need one another. So I said, it's very hard to find healing when you're living by yourself. Yeah. When you don't have someone else to come alongside of you and encourage you, to have those positive mentors and influences that help me to not believe the lie that Satan's throwing at me. So and I have accountability with my church. I have a small group that I go to. And I'm at this point now of following Jesus now for the last 16 years where that's not an issue for me anymore because I have turned away from that life and decided this is the life that I truly wanted. And I would tell you probably the transition for me when I got married because my wife, it was easy when I was a bachelor to hide my struggle. Sure. Yeah. You know, you have somebody living with you and seeing all your... <laughs> and my wife and I, we dated off and on for years before we got married. And 
but she didn't know how bad I was still struggling. Okay. Because like, I let her see the parts of me that I wanted her to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like she saw the leader in the church. She saw the one leading small group. She saw the CrossFit instructor and you know, this guy who had a decent career. And so she didn't see this guy still dr- struggling with addiction. Like he's still struggling with drinking. Yeah. Like, and it's crazy. That's a crazy thing. And when I got married and I'm bringing my wife along for this ride. And my wife knows when I'm drinking because I'm very good at disengaging. Mm-hmm. Because I'd rather be by myself than let someone else see my struggle. And so when I got married, like that's when I really had to start doing a gut check. Have I found healing? Am I still addicted? Well, I knew I was addicted, but. Yeah. What's your opinion on that? Do you feel like once an addict, always an addict? How do you feel about that? No, I think that. Yeah, what do you, what do you tell someone? Because this has been a struggle with us. What do you tell families of those that struggle in regards to who that person really is and how to see that individual because we hear often hey you are what you do but are you really that yeah if you've had addiction issues how do you feel about that yeah i think especially that's come through such a hard addiction that i have i think that relapse is oftentimes part of rehab Mm. yeah and it's okay if the person is relapsing, but you cannot ever give them ultimatums and you've got to make sure that you're there for them. There's nothing worse than to feel you know, this person that loves me doesn't want anything to do for, with me. Which is conditional love. Which is conditional love. And so it's when the people are supposed to love you and trust you the most don't want anything to do with you any longer. That's a really hard place to be. So what's your opinion as far as setting boundaries then in a family situation? Like 100%. obviously there has to be boundaries, but where, what is your We like to call them that? loving boundaries. Yeah. <laughs> I, I talked, I had a great conversation with someone about this the other day. Like understand like that there are consequences to actions. Like, and so for me, like even scripturally speaking, God was unconditionally loving but there were still consequences there's still boundaries there's still boundaries there are massive boundaries like he made very black and white lines know this i will always love you yeah and i will always be there for you but the choices you're making it's damaging people around you and so i'll come get you or i'll be there for you when you're ready because that's the problem too like when it comes to people struggling with addiction it's really hard to help someone that doesn't want help sure now that's the hardest thing it's like for someone when a family member really wants to help someone yeah but the other person doesn't want help they do they just can't get themselves to accept it yeah like, or, deep, deep down you, you and i were talking earlier you were talking about how no one really wants to be addicted yeah like, no one really wants that and when you've struggled with it enough, there's a point where you're just like, you I do not want this in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's so hard not to go back down those holes, sure. right? Chasing the dragon or rabbit, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But I also think there's a point too, especially a young person where you think that you know everything. Yeah. Where it's, I just, this, I just want this. Like I, mm-hmm. the, where pleasure becomes more important than people. Right. Where pleasure becomes more important than creating a, a positive future or what yeah. your purpose in life is yeah there's a really great quote by victor frankel who wrote man's search for meaning such a good book. yeah and it talks about this idea without a deep sense of meaning people will give themselves over to pleasure mm-hmm. so, and we live in this world of pleasure we live right. in a world of entertainment instant 
pleasure, instant, yeah. Yeah. And well, and just to toot your horn a little bit. So Cameron goes to bed every night at 9 o'clock. Yeah, not right. by choice, though. Okay. <laughs> kind of. Because he gets up at 4.30 a.m., right? Coach CrossFit. Right. And he said earlier, which I thought was great, is he said, nobody really does anything productive after 9 o'clock. It's usually some form of distraction or entertainment or pleasure, right? Yeah. And so guilty as charged. Yeah. Right? Like, after we love I... watching young Sheldon after, like, <laughs> 9 o'clock, a couple episodes. But, but as much as it's kind of a harmless thing to do, right? Watch yeah. a TV show that's rated PG. But we're not really doing anything productive yeah. with our time at that, at that point. Yeah. And that's so hard for most people to do is to stay disciplined the way that you are. Now you say, hey, it's not by choice. But it really is by choice. Yeah. You don't have to get up at 4.30 and go do CrossFit. Yeah. Right? You're choosing to do those things. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because whether it's mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, I am trying every day to create a better future than yesterday. Yeah. I want the very best for my family. I want the very best for myself. And so I will make sacrifices and delay gratification today to a future I haven't yet attained. That you can't um, a, yeah. achieve unless you eliminate Yeah, those. absolutely. Yeah. Unless, But that also comes with the deep sense of meaning and purpose. Because if I know where my flag is going and I'm going to start in a direction towards it. Yeah. Most people don't have a deep sense of what that flag looks like and where I'm, I'm going. And so it's hard to make that choice of going to bed at 9 p.m. and getting up at 4 yeah, but by no means am I the most disciplined person in the world. I kind of almost fumbled into that habit with when I got married. I wanted CrossFit to be a part of my life. So they had to do it early mornings or nothing, and then it just became a habit. But over the years, I've definitely appreciated that more and more of cutting out late nights for early mornings. Right. That's um, the trade-off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that way, like, I can be creating a better future, not only for me, because if this is all about me, it's just all for naught. But if it is about using God's story for my life to help other people find hope or healing, that's what it's about. There's like, way more fulfillment. Yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. man. When when you yeah. stop living for yourself. Right. Yeah. When, the, when there's something beyond you that you're living for. And I love what Simon Sinek talks about in the book, Start With Why. If you have a strong enough why, you can overcome anyhow. Right. Hmm. Can we go back to something really I like, quick? I like that. <laughs> so you, you were talking about how the difference between unconditional love and conditional love. In the scriptures. By the way, I think it's really important to let everybody know, we don't go to the same church. We, I don't even know what church you go to. It doesn't matter, right? We, we still have the same foundational belief, which I think is great. And sometimes the way I describe it to people is, hey, look at your siblings and how you interact with your parents. The love exists, but there's different relationships and different interactions. We're all that way with God. Does that make sense? Yeah. There's a part in the scriptures where God says, I do not recognize thy face to this particular person. And I didn't understand that at all until one night I get a call and I had to go pick up my daughter because she just was lost, couldn't find her car was heavily under the influence. And when I got her in the car, I did not recognize who she was. 
and knew it was my kid. But her mannerism, her words, her the interaction, I sat there and I was a little bit dumbfounded. I just kept thinking, who are you? And it was at that moment that I understood that scripture because I always thought, wait a minute, the creator of all, how do you not recognize one of your own? And what he meant was, look, I don't love you any less, but your behaviors right now are unrecognizable to the person that I created. Okay. How do you help those that struggle and also the families understand like how that can actually affect the relationship between say parents and children or siblings or if it's a parent that's struggling it's hard to reconcile at times and to be able to sit to separate and say hey i still i love this person regardless but sometimes i think people really struggle separating those two situations if that makes sense can you identify with that at all yeah and and i th it's crazy because like i have personally experienced god using some of the worst moments in my life for the greatest good in my life and for the good of others mm -hmm. and it's hard to say he's allowing this in their lives or even in your life like how my and we had talked about this with my niece like we lost my niece to leukemia at 11 months old and it's hard to tell a parent that god allowed this you know hence the good god idea but like through that and being able to walk through that now for years ago like he has used that in so many good ways yeah. but when we're allowing when we're going through a storm like how do you explain that to someone? like yeah. how did that experience help you would you share that because you, you told me about that once yeah so first of when that happened i after that i ran the san francisco marathon which raises money for the leukemia and lymphoma society uh, it was my first marathon i ever did and uh, one of the most physically worst things really? I could have. Yeah. yeah. And I remember like being in mile 14, 15 and my body at this point had broken down. Like the most I had ever ran before that was like 15 miles. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm just going to do this marathon. <laughs> and I've been CrossFit for years. So I'm like, oh yeah, I'll be fine. <laughs> for a good cause. Oh, for a good cause, you know. Oh but gosh. like when I got to that mile 14, 15, like my body and my mind was just in so much pain. And all I wanted to do was give up. And I and and through that, like, I just remember like seeing pictures of you know my niece like hooked up to those monitors, and it just got me through. Like, I don't think I would have finished those next eleven miles without that thought in my head. But yeah, that pain that you know she experienced, like, I was like, there's no pain that I couldn't experience myself. Um, doing this for her. Um, but through that, my mom's church had come alongside my sister who wasn't attending church. And um, long story short, my sister attends church now. And um, Because if she had to walk through that alone, I don't know if she would have survived. And even after that, like, she had a lot of really dark days, I'm you sure. know. And, and even today, she probably still has some mental struggle she goes through. It's going to be, be the rest yeah, of Yeah, and walking yeah. through that. But once again, like, it brought people alongside of her to help her. Um, she found a community. Yeah. Awesome. That's so good. Thanks for sharing, dude. Yeah. No problem. So you're a father now. Yeah. 
almost I have right. two. I have two. <laughs> and when they're little, it's really easy to love them unconditionally. Sure. Okay. So looking back as you were growing up, were there times where you really wish that your folks had the ability to love you the way that you love your daughter today? Yeah, it's hard. Be, it's a hard question because for me, I know it's God's story for my life. And because of the things that I've had to experience, it's why I'm so passionate about certain things the way that I am. Like, I really believe in boys finding, you know, a mentor and... Um, Someone who's not in the family, for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. And, Is that uh, part of what your passion encompasses? Yeah. yeah. Eventually, my wife and I, like, we... If we get a boy and a girl, we have a girl, and if, uh, we don't know if it's a boy or girl yet, but um, we'd really like to adopt children um, more than even have more of our own because, man, especially when you grow up like me, when you don't have someone to help you or teach you well what it means to be a man. You know, like with my dad, we talked about a little bit before, like my dad was such a violent person, and what he thought and what he mimicked of being a man was to assert dominance. Hmm. And that's the culture we live in. Because if I'm strong and tough, like, and if I assert my dominance over someone, that's what it means to be a man. Yeah. And we're taught, like, there's a really good book called Battle Cry, but he talks about this emotional incarceration, specifically for men. Because we're taught, like, we're not supposed to show emotions. Right. Especially in certain cultures, like, we don't show emotions. And that we have it all together. But the problem with that is emotions aren't a male-female thing. Mm -hmm. They're a human thing. Right. Like God created men and women with emotions. So if we act like things aren't bothering us, what happens is we sweep them under the rug. And eventually that's when we explode. Right. And he gives this great analogy of emotions being like ping pong balls. And you can hold them underwater, but they have to come to the surface. Eventually. Eventually. And if you haven't taken care of the emotions of your past, like that's where you end up really hurting people. Maybe not physically, but your words and the way that you treat people. And you don't even realize that I'm doing it. Yes. Like for me, it's cognizant that... Oh, no, no, no. I'm actually a jerk to people or I bulldoze people because of this trauma that I still haven't overcome in my own past. Yeah. And I don't even realize, oh, wow, because my dad treated people that way. You thought that's why, normal. That's why, yeah. yeah, that's why I treat people this way. Yeah. You know, like I don't even realize like it's a problem, so. Hurt people, comma. Hurt, hurt people. Hurt people. <laughs> and healed people, heal comma. People. Heal people. Amen. Right? Thank well, for our... Millions of listeners. His favorite joke. <laughs> I do say that a lot, don't I? You do. Yeah. Any last words of wisdom for parents and for those that struggle? You've talked to a lot of people over the years, which I think is very admirable. I feel compelled to compliment you and your desire and your ability to continue to reach out and help even when you've been struggling at times yourself, mm -hmm. right? Because I don't think most people would be able to do that while they're still struggling. I think most that have overcome and have been able to maintain uh, that type of lifestyle, mm. it's probably a little e somewhat easier, but that's a huge compliment to the person that you are and, and how much you really do care about others because even in your tougher days, you're still helping and reaching out. I think that's amazing, dude. Good yes. for you. Thank you. I'll leave with one thing. So for me, what really helped me was when I read about 
the life of David mm-hmm. in the Bible. Because I had heard of David and Goliath and I knew a little bit of his story. But the person God said was the man after my heart, even after he was anointed to one day become king. And that took another 15 years after that anointing. Like he still made a lot of bad choices along the way. Mm-hmm. Like, he still didn't live the life God was called him to all the time. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you, like, look in the book of Psalms and you see some of David's writings, and you can see why he's the man after his heart. Because he was so quick to come back to God, to to find hope, not in himself, but in something else. And so I I would tell anyone, know that there's always hope, you know, until you're on your last breath. Like, there's hope and there's people there for you. And... We're not called to do this alone. We are called to live in life with other people and in community, and you don't have to live a lie. Um, don't worry about the, what the world says, man. You can't do this alone. You're not called to, and you don't have to. And and even people that love us, I, I would tell you, just because they're family doesn't mean they're safe. Mm. Not all family members do have your best interests in mind uh, as much as we, you would want them to be, but... At the same time, there are loving people. And so I would just say for that person that wants someone in their life to don't give up and to always be there, like to always be an encouragement. But like we said before, there are boundaries. Like right. there, But that doesn't mean you can't reach out, but that doesn't mean that that person needs to be in my home either. Right. So there's got to be this happy, happy medium. It yeah. sounds to me like you identify with David. Oh, big time. Yeah, so I, I definitely identify with David. Because the realization is, there is tremendous value, even those that trip and fall down frequently. Like, everyone has so much worth. And unfortunately, it's really hard for those that have those struggles to really believe that about themselves. And at times, it's really hard for their families to to focus on that as well. Mm-hmm. And yet, God says, hey, you have no idea how valuable you are to me. Yeah, I don't care about... The struggles. I don't care about the fall downs. I really don't. Just come back to me. Right? Like, David, you got 15 years of falling down and getting yourself up because you're still so valuable. There's still so much worth there. Yeah. Right? It's a really hard message to convey. And for most people, I think, to even believe. It's challenging. So. Yeah. Well, we love that you're giving back. I think that's a big part of recovery. At least all of the stories we've been hearing is over and over. If you stay in your own little bubble, if you stay where you're unhealthy, you're not going to get better. I love that you moved out, even though you said you struggled when you left your hometown. But the other part of that is I love that you help other people because they're going to learn from your experience and, and hopefully continue to do the same and then it's this really awesome butterfly effect of that person sees change and is able to help create change in other people's lives so it's beautiful how we're all connected yeah and i would also (laughs) i I was going to say this earlier but i forgot but i would assume that when you started doing that traveling sales job that you saw glimpses of your potential because otherwise how would you go two and a half years and I did things I had never thought possible. Right, and, and when you did those, those are like, you're filling up your tank a little bit as far as realizing you have talent, like you had talent, you had abilities, you had strengths that maybe you hadn't ever seen in yourself before or even given a chance to even bring to light. And would, would you agree with us that trying to help 
those that struggle find those things that they're good at and focus more on those things that they're good at because it's so easy to just be really hard on yourself and focus on the negative and what you're not good at and you know what others are would you say that looking back that maybe that was something that also helped you that's something we haven't really talked about with anybody before yeah is trying to help people find those areas in their life that they do have talent talent in yeah. yeah. And so after I became a follower of Jesus, 11 months later, I ended up at Jessup University, a Christian college. And that's a whole nother story. But like through that experience, before I started college, I had a 1.2 high school GPA. In high school, like I don't ever remember ever turning in one paper. The only reason I even have a degree is because when I was locked up, they made me go to school. Mm-hmm. And so they would basically, you know, just gave me a grade to pass. And so I had so many doubts and fears, yeah. but I knew I'm following Jesus and feeling called to a new life. I wanted to, to try to do things I had never done before, but that was a really scary place. And then after my first year, I ended up failing a class and ended up losing a scholarship. And only by the grace of God, like a, they found a private donor who heard my story, who believed in me. And long story short, I now have a master's degree. And But once again, like that was the fear of failure almost stopped me from ever creating a better future. Like the fear of not good enough or I don't have what it takes. And I mean, imagine me like never turned in one paper. This kid's going to start college now. I've been a heroin addict and, you know, and scary. Yeah. And then through those experiences and both my undergrad and my very first class in my master's degree, I failed. Mm -hmm. And there is this constant conversation. If you're really, I think, out on a limb and taking risks and doing what you feel called to, you're like always going to feel like you're failing <laughs> to yeah, a certain extent. Yeah. And, and we're so afraid to fail, like we never try anything what we feel like we're called to do. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's easier to never tell someone your dream yeah. than to never have to hold yourself accountable. Like if I never tell anyone this is what I want with my life, well then if I don't make that, well, nobody's going to know. Yeah. Now, if I begin to verbalize that, like, I do want a bachelor's degree. Like, I do want to get a master's degree. Or you know, I do want to be a professor. Whatever it might be one day. Well, now I'm accountable to those things. Yeah. And uh, proving myself wrong. Like, that's one of the scariest things for... Or I guess I would say proving myself right. Like, that I didn't have what it takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's a really scary place to be. But, uh, thankfully, maybe this is a door-to-door salesman or just the way God made me. I'm... I'm okay with failing forward. Mm-hmm. I love what Denzel Washington talks about. I don't understand why people always talk about having something to fall back on. If he's going to fail, he wants to fail forward. I want to see what I'm going to hit. And like I'm not falling back on anything. If there's some dream in my heart, then I'm going to go after it. But you got to know what that dream is. You got to know how you're created, what you're created for. Well, my, what are my passions? Like, what am I even passionate about? And then begin to use that to create a better future for not only yourself, but for other people. Yeah. Well, awesome. dude, thanks a lot. Yeah. That was great. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Your story. I assumed it was going to be great, but that was great. <laughs> uh, we always end every podcast with... There's always, always help. And there's always, always, always hope. Always help. Always right. hope. <laughs> thanks again, dude. Yeah. My yeah. pleasure. Cameron. Bye, guys. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. And as always, please like, share, or comment, or add a thumbs up on YouTube. All of these things are going to help us reach other people in need of hearing this podcast. And we want to take you out on a recording of Emma singing and playing the piano with a message that we believe she would want you to hear.